0: Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
1: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts.
2: From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, yes, it's now two years marking the January 6th insurrection. Now, earlier today, despite not technically being in session, members of Congress reflected
3: the January 6th insurrection shook our republic to the core for many in the congress and across our country the physical psychological and emotional
2: scars are
3: still raw but
2: today we're going to shift the
3: conversation a bit
2: talking about you know racial racial reconciliation racial healing looking inward and at each other it's a core concept towards racial healing says dr katherine meeks and she explains it all in in a new book, The Night is Long, But Light Comes in the Morning, Meditations for Racial Healing. Plus, something a little bit different. Friday Feedback, Feedback Fridays, brother. returned. So we're going to take your calls about racial healing. A very important conversation coming up. But first this, the Fulton County death sentence trial for Robert Aaron Long won't take place this month. Long faces 19 felony charges in Fulton County for the death of four Asian women in in the spas in March of 2020. Now, his trial was delayed last year in light of a new law on expert testimony. However, Judge Ural Glanville said at a hearing yesterday that because he's also presiding over the criminal trial of Atlanta rapper Young Thug, additional hearings in Long's case will need to take place in May, and a trial date has yet to be set. In other news, Georgia Power customers will see their rates go up beginning this month. Molly Samuel reports state regulators approved the increase just before Christmas.
1: According to Georgia Power, an average residential customer will see their bill go up by $3.60 a month. That's less than what the utility had initially asked from regulators, which was close to $15 a month. But under the plan approved by the Georgia Public Service Commission, electricity rates will go up again next year and the year after. And those aren't the only increases on the way. Georgia Power is also expected to ask for more money to cover the higher cost of natural gas. And once the new nuclear power units at Plant Vogel go into service, bills will go up again. Molly Samuel, WABE News.
2: Now, speaking of Georgia Power, some major news regarding executive leadership ranks. The head of Georgia Power will soon take the leadership reins at the utility's parent company. This spring, Georgia Power President and CEO Chris Womack will become President and CEO of Southern Company. And Womack has, Womack has led Georgia Power since 2021 and before that held other executive jobs at Southern Company. Now, data showing 60, 60% of U.S. college students struggle with at least one mental health issue. Atlanta's Oglethorpe University, well, they're trying to lead the way with a new approach for dealing with mental health on campus, as we hear from Martha Dalton.
4: Oglethorpe President Nick Ladany says mental health issues have been on the rise for the past two decades. COVID made things worse, he says.
0: We're seeing a, a big spike in depression-related challenges as well as anxiety-related challenges and other things such as disordered eating, substance use and abuse. The pandemic has caused this uptick across the board in certain mental health challenges.
4: Colleges often use short-term models for counseling, which limit the number of therapy sessions students can receive on campus. But when Ladani, who has a background in counseling psychology, came to Oglethorpe in 2020, he put no limits on sessions.
0: Short-term models are analogous to giving aspirin for cancer. Aspirin works for a headache. It doesn't work for longer or major issues.
4: Ladani also hired more counseling staff and made services available 24-7. Dr. Michelle Lynn runs Oglethorpe's Counseling Center. She says more students are seeking out mental health care, but there's still a stigma attached for some.
1: Instead of seeing counseling as something that can be beneficial to everyone, that if they're seeking counseling, then something must be wrong with them or they're not able to handle issues on their own.
4: More than 60 percent of Oglethorpe students are people of color. Lynn points out that historically, some cultural groups have had harmful experiences with therapy, which may affect students' attitudes about seeking help. Our staff is committed to understanding that history and
1: and being sure that we ourselves are very well trained and inclusive and to work towards breaking down stigma um, so that all students feel comfortable coming here.
4: Every school may not offer unlimited therapy sessions, but many Georgia colleges are expanding what they do offer to include benefits like 24-hour helplines and group counseling services. Martha Dalton, WABE News. And coming up next,
2: we take your calls about racial healing as Dr. Katherine Meeks joins the program. A closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Before we begin our conversation today, we're going to go back to three years ago when it was a new year, and that new year was 2020. And it would be a defining moment for so many reasons.
5: All right, well, good evening, everyone. And let me thank you so much for being with us. And I apologize for the late hour. Uh, earlier this evening, we received confirmation from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that we have two confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Georgia. These cases involve two individuals who reside in the same household, one who recently returned from Italy. Both individuals are isolated at home with other relatives to keep the illness from spreading.
2: Now, we're not over COVID-19 obviously, but we're not where we used to be either. Still, nationwide, more than a million lives have been lost to this virus. Also in 2020, a wave of national and international protests regarding the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, just to name a few. And then how some of the protests turned destructive, including here in Atlanta.
0: Yes, it's my city, and I'm deeply saddened what I'm looking at here today. I saw this city take off when I was 18 years old in the 70s. When it began to really grow and prosper to where it is now. This is a major setback for Atlanta right here.
6: We people
1: who are darker than blue.
0: And all this can be rebuilt, but it's tarnished.
1: And let what others
6: say come true. We're just good. There is something different about this moment. I think a lot of our white brothers and sisters are starting to look in the mirror and ask themselves, like, okay, maybe I am a part of the problem, maybe my silence is a part of the problem.
4: Atlanta has always been a strong city. We're different than other cities, you know? From here, exactly what you see today, we're already rebuilding our city, we're already taking care of each other, you know? Atlanta is a strong city and I think from here we can just can promote change you're just the surface
2: of our dark deep well. if your could really see you know your the same as me
5: for decades longer than I've been alive we've seen people unjustly killed unjustly jailed or oppressed and
0: it's finally come to a head so The conversations that I had with my son late last night while we were watching this, and he was like, Dad, why are they destroying my city? And I paused for a moment, and I said, Son, people are angry, people are hurt, and they are acting out, but that's not the way to do it. And he was like, how do we do it? And I paused, and he was like, is it love? And my son is six years old. He, he's, he talked about love.
2: And then also in November of 2020, you remember, of course, the presidential election. And then afterwards, all that drama surrounding that, we asked a question on this program, how you all felt about the state of our nation's democracy.
6: I am gravely concerned about the state of democracy because I have seen a systematic teaching us to distrust the media, teaching us to distrust our voting process, teaching us to distrust our public health officials.
2: And then from there, we enter 2021, and of course, January 6th.
0: But this time, we brought this hell upon ourselves. This land is your land. This land is my land From California
2: To the New
5: York Island
0: Now it is up to Congress to confront This egregious assault on our democracy And after this We're gonna walk down and I'll be there with you We're gonna walk down We're gonna walk down Anyone you want, but I think right here We're gonna walk down to the Capitol That
6: ribbon of highway
7: I saw above me That endless skyway
6: And we're going to cheer
0: on our brave senators and congressmen and women And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them Because you'll never take back our country with weakness You have to show strength and you have to be strong Thank you. be very clear the scenes of chaos at the capitol do not reflect a true america do not represent who we are what we're seeing are a small number of extremists dedicated to lawlessness this is not dissent it's disorder it's chaos borders on sedition and it must end now i call on this mob to pull back and allow the work of democracy to go forward you've heard me say before in different contexts the words. Of a president matter, no matter how good or bad that president is. At the best. this land was made for you and me.
2: And so we fast forward to 2023, and of course, two years since the January 6th insurrection. But some say we're still a nation divided. Many say that. But today, we want to shift that conversation. As Dr. Catherine Meek says, it begins with looking inward and at each other. It's a core concept, she says, towards racial healing. It's also a core concept in our new book, The Night is Long But Light Comes in the Morning, Meditations for Racial Healing. Now, if you don't know Dr. Meeks, I'm about to tell you, and you should know, she's been on this program many times before. She's also the executive director of the Absalon Jones Center for Racial Healing and for decades has worked for racial healing and social justice. And this hour, we're also going to open up the phone lines and uh, we're going to take your calls. Before y'all start calling, you need to know the question, which is for you listeners, how do you define racial healing? And your number, 404-733-0942. Again, 404-733-0942. Or you can email me or tweet me, as y'all love to do, rose at wabe.org or W-A-B-E Rose Scott on Twitter. Dr. Meeks, welcome back to the program. Happy New Year.
7: Happy New Year to you, too, Rose, and it's such a delight to be here. I love being interviewed by you. <laughs> I love being interviewed. So, I was so glad to get your uh, <laughs> invitation.
2: Um, Thank you. Your your conversations um, always matter, and they always have mattered. And, and I want to begin by just giving our listeners at first, though, some insight into this decades-long work that you have been doing. I think it's four decades. I, I, I like to refer to that as you're very seasoned and, and rooted in this space. Um, four decades plus, right?
7: Right. Close to 50 years actually. So I've got a, I've had a long time to think about a lot of things and I've come to the conclusion that if we don't do our inner work Mm-hmm. nothing else matters nothing that you'll never do anything in the world that's really sustainable if you don't take the time to find out who you really are and what you're really about and that's a part of what's going on at the present moment in this country so the disruption in some ways while it is distressing and horrible and has many facets in some ways is also hardening because it forces people to do the work that you, you know, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. And so people aren't gonna do it if they can escape. And and it, you have to find some way to manage your life in the midst of all that's going on. And I think part of it is coming to terms with yourself mm-hmm. and who you are and how you want to be in the world. And I hope we'll do some of that work now in the midst of this, you know, we're crazy. I mean, it, clearly we've got a lot of crazy <laughs> yeah. stuff going on. But but the world's always been crazy. I mean, it's crazier sometimes than others. And I just feel like that coming to grips with ourselves in the midst of some of this is really a part of the remedy. Mm-hmm. There are always some external things that sure. can be done. But at the very core, human beings have to decide who they're gonna be.
2: When did you make that decision that you wanted to be part of this process, whether you wanna call it Racial healing. I think you told me one time we were going to stay away from racial reconciliation. Is that true? Yes. Because there's yes, a difference. Yes, there's a difference talk.
7: there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Racial reconciliation. Quickly for the audience who hasn't heard my comments about that is an effort to kind of cover over the the wounding, the hurt, Mm -hmm. the the injustices, and get to let's come and sit down and have a picnic together. Mm -hmm. We can't get there until we do the the healing work, until we do the inner work, until we do the owning up to the wounds. Everybody's been wounded by racism in this country. Mm -hmm. Black, white, brown, it doesn't matter who you are, rich, poor, we've been wounded by this white supremacist structure. And so until we come to, until we are willing to acknowledge that and work on it, it's no point in talking about anything else. And we Mm -hmm. talk about racial reconciliation as as if it's a quick fix Mm -hmm. for for decades, centuries long of wounding. And so it's not gonna happen. It hasn't happened. We don't, you know, we've been trying all kinds of things for a long time and look at where we are. So clearly, we need to think of something different. So I, that's why I've moved away from racial reconciliation is language mm-hmm. we don't use at the center. I don't use it in my writing, I don't use it in my speaking or t- teaching because I think it's it doesn't cover mm-hmm. what has got to be done if there's gonna be true healing in this land.
2: What led you to pin the night is long but light comes in the morning meditations for racial healing, you talk about a lot of your personal, how this is personal yeah. for you. There are some names in here um, that we'll get to, but but what was the what's the backstory of this for this book?
7: Well, I've done a lot of teaching, a lot of being in rooms with people, a lot of listening, a lot of thinking, and I wanted to try to find a way to put some of the subjects on the table that we try so hard to avoid. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to. We don't want to talk about a lot of the things that this book addresses, but we want to get well, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 so that's why I start with the premise, uh, the question: Do you want to be well? Because if you want to be well, then you're willing to go down this road. If you don't want to be, you'll try to find a substitute. There is no substitute for mm-hmm. for, for for facing up, for naming, for being honest, for telling the truth to yourself about yourself, to and about others whatever you're talking about, the truth will get you further than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I think I've been engaged in this journey for forever, it feels like. Uh, and I wanted to find a way to talk about these things so that the person who hadn't been thinking about them for 50 years might start to think about them. Mm-hmm. And when my publisher asked me to write something, I said, I wanna write a book of meditations. And of course people may think, well, this is gonna be you know, a Psalm and a prayer and some little poetry in mm-hmm. between. It's not that, it is, it is issue driven. It is, these are the issues that we need to be meditating on. These are the hard things we need to be working with. These are the questions we need to be asking ourselves because that further down the road
2: Listeners, again, the question, if you have a question for Dr. Meeks or the question we're talking about today is how do you define racial healing? The number is 404-733-0942. Again, 404-733-0942. Let's go to Cedric, who's calling from the Woodstock area here in Atlanta. Cedric, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. What's your comment or question? Yes, ma'am. Can you hear me clearly? We got you. Okay.
0: Okay. So when you ask that the listener must take into account that this is a question about racial healing, I know that when you heal, you require a doctor. So in this scenario, who would be the doctors? Would it be just the black people, or will it be black people and Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, or will it be those included with the government that would have to participate
7: in the operating room to be able to accomplish this task?
2: Yeah, good question. And a, and a great analogy. Yeah. Dr. Meeks?
7: Yes. Well, I think for in the first place, it's got to be individuals who work on mm-hmm. healing. I don't think that can be done. It's not external. What I'm talking about is not external. Yeah. It is about right. people coming to terms with, you first have to ask the question, what kind of human being do you want to be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how do you get people to do that? And, and so I want to be clear as far as the people who, were part of the insurrection, I think every one of them should go to jail. And that's what yes, you know, right. but they also, yes. they also need to be engaged and interrogated in ways that help them to start evaluating what kind of human being do you want to be, and you should not be right. wanting to be a human being who hurts other people, mm-hmm. you know, four people right. committed suicide since that insurrection and, and people died that day. And do you want to be, is that your your intention in the world to, to be that kind of a person? And every human being has to make this decision for themselves. There is nobody that can make it for somebody else. But until you make it, you're just gonna be blown around by every wind that comes down the road. And you'll jump on bandwagons that aren't the best ones. and a lot of things and so i think it's a big mistake to start asking what external agency is supposed to facilitate individual mm-hmm. healing that is not how it works it is you okay. you you start looking under rocks for the truth you start asking questions you seek out places where you might grow because th- because th- that's been the mistake that we've been making in the past, we we pass this on to somebody else. It's somebody else's responsibility to help me get well. It's my responsibility to help myself man get Man in the well. mirror, would you say man That's in right. the mirror? And, okay. And people okay. need I people need help. We we need community. We need we need yes. companions. We need people along the way. I'm not saying you do this by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know. But, you, but until you make the decision inside yourself, it doesn't really matter how big your community is. You're never going to get on the path. Thank you so yes, much. Right. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Cedric Thank from
2: Woodstock. And again, folks, the number is 404-733-0942. Again, 404-733-0942. We're asking a question. How do you define racial healing? Or if you have a question for Dr. Catherine Meeks. And Dr. Meeks, I want to go back to your book for a second. Because in mm-hmm. it, And I don't want to give too much away, but this struck me. Meditation 18, under mm-hmm. why black people are still talking about race. In your very first sentence, racism, racism, energetic power makes it necessary to make sure that the conversations about it do not cease until it is dismantled. Close quote. Mm-hmm. And that's... Mm-hmm. That's how dismantling racism in this nation, in year 2023, that's when you write that. And and what are you trying to convey to the reader? Because I can imagine someone saying, wow, where do we begin to dismantle racism?
7: We haven't haven't been able to do it for,
2: for 400, 500 years.
7: Yeah. Well, that's true, Rose. And, you know, the thing about it is white people are very quick to say, why why don't we stop talking about race? I mean, after all, we had a black president and we can ride on the front of the bus and we can go wherever we want to get food to eat and all those things. Well, the truth is we're still practicing racism. We're still, uh, uh, everyday people of color in this country are the victims of microaggressions, Mm -hmm. of the victims of the insidious energy system that's called racism. So you can't quit talking about what is continuously wounding you. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to quit talking about it. We'd be silly to quit talking about it, to act like it doesn't exist, to stick our heads in the sand. We cannot do that. We also can't let it run our lives. We have to be... We have to be awake and talking and working, but we also have to still figure out how to live the best life we can live in the midst of the country that we find ourselves. And the dismantling part mm-hmm. is white people who want to be progressive have got to be honest about what the system is and not make excuses for it, not try to explain it, not try to, you know, you you tell somebody. Uh, and I try to edit our stories too. That's a very important thing that Mm -hmm. I want to say. If I tell you you're white and I tell you this happened to me and it happened because I'm a Black person, I don't need you trying to talk me out of that analysis. Mm -hmm. I need you to be willing to let me be the teller of my own story and you respect my understanding of what happened to me. That is a, that's a, very tiny way to begin dismantling racism mm. for white people to get over the necessity to feel like they have to edit the, the, the stories of black and brown people about microaggressions and racist, that racism's uh, effect upon them, upon us, because that happens so much every day. And we, mm-hmm. we who live in black and brown bodies just sort of almost accept it as a part of the reality of the day. Dr. And, Me- and and and
2: mm-hmm. no go ahead finish I, I have a listener that and, has and, a,
7: and, and white people can begin to help dismantle that system by being more willing to really listen and let us be the let accept our understanding of our experience as being real
2: and Dr. Minks, what is your suggestion or insight into for those folks who are not black, who are of color, for those folks who have a hard time trying to do grapple with this because of what might be guilt. You know, yeah. or you're saying, well, you know, I, I, I'm made to feel guilty for acts that happen. Mm-hmm. And not just, mm-hmm. look, not just 40, 50, 60 years, 100, 200 years ago. I mean, some acts that just happened a few months ago. You
7: know, That's right. What is your insight into well, folks
2: who are grappling with that?
7: Well, in the first place, you have to decide if if how, how much how, nobody can make you feel guilty, you make a choice. You know, I tell you this story, I tell you this experience, this is the historical record, if you want to take that information mm-hmm. and allow it then to to make you feel this way, that way, or some other way, that's up to you, you can use it, you can use that information. If you're trying to be particularly if you're trying to be progressive, mm-hmm. if you just look around, you will see the truth of it. And so then then are you willing to step up to the plate and embrace that truth? Or would or are you wanting to deny it? Mm-hmm. And and then if you know, and I think a lot of white people have a lot of trouble and say, you know, I feel so guilty. I've had many people say they feel guilty about being white. That's a waste of time and energy. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna turn blue or green just because because of that. So you have to say, this is what happened. I can be a different person. I don't have to keep Mm -hmm. on being a participant in this scenario. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that you're willing to step outside of it, I think you can deal with some of that energy that gets wasted on guilt. Because it is wasted energy.
2: Mm. Let's go to Solomon, who's calling from Lawrenceville. Solomon, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
0: Hi, how are you?
2: I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm just calling from Lawrenceville. Solomon, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. How are uh, you? Solomon, I need you to turn your, your, your radio down because I'm getting feedback. I know you want to hear yourself, oh, I'm sorry.
0: Solomon. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I turned <laughs> it down.
6: But
0: I just have a uh, question for Dr. Meek, um, and I want to make it quick. Mm-hmm. coming from parents who were born and raised in the south and learning through uh my mother and father through verbal history how it was to grow up in the south in the 30s 40s 50s um like how do you reconcile with people who consider uh african Americans, black people as property and not souls mm-hmm. that were created
7: uh equally uh, mm-hmm. you know amongst themselves like how do you navigate that mm-hmm. Good question. Dr. Meeks? Do you mean in the current moment that people who think of us that way? Yes, uh, because we
0: live in a uh, structure of uh, white superiority, uh, racism, Mm -hmm. and people that run Mm -hmm. the government um, basically still carry that uh, basically belief or, you know,
7: Well, I think it's part of the part of the healing for us who are living in black and brown bodies is to come to a real true understanding of who we really are. And we cannot let those external narratives define us. You know, Dr. Howard Thurman says that you've got to go deep into your own self and find out at what's at your core, what makes you up, what makes you who you are and who is it that you want to be in the world which is why i keep coming back to that do you want to be well question because i can't let the government or the textbooks that i had to study define me i have to figure out how who i am aside from that and 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 until i can do that work i'm going to be i'm going to be hounded by how other people project upon me and it's hard but you do have to work at it. Otherwise, you leave yourself in control. You, you, you're you being controlled by those negative narratives.
2: Thank you so much for that, Solomon. I want to go to Brian, who's calling from Atlanta. Brian, thanks for taking the time.
5: Thank you. Um, I just wanted to uh, comment about the government's role in setting the, the social climate of this country. You know, It took us 100 years to get an effective Voting Rights Act and Supreme Court just struck down the most important provision of that act, and now they have a case mm-hmm. before the Supreme Court where they're trying to give states uh, the authority to just do whatever they want to do with respect to elections. So then the government has a very important role in setting the climate. I mean, going all the way back to the Plessy mm-hmm. versus Ferguson case that made segregation legal and legitimate. And so from that point on until the passage of the 64 Civil Rights Act, segregation, this so-called, this concept of uh, separate but equal, that was the law of the land. And I know that, um, I mean, just talking for I'm 75, just, but just talking for, to some of my older relatives, there was a sense of total futility among black people. Mm-hmm. We knew we could only go so far, so high, and the system restricted us. And uh, so until, um, well, I, I'll just put it this way. Mm-hmm. And the way I look at it, the, we have no enemies in the Democratic Party. All our enemies and adversaries are Republicans. Now, they don't mm-hmm. like, they might not like to hear us say that. But as I look at it, uh, you know, every Republican in the U.S. Senate voted against uh, the restoration of the Voting Rights Act. I mean, that was just, what, two years ago. That's unbelievable. But that's the issue. So I'm, my point is that the government has a responsibility. I mean, the Congress, the Supreme Court, the president, you know, now that, that they have a supermajority, conservative uh, majority in the court, they think they can do anything. But uh, the government has a role to play in setting the climate um, in this country with respect. To racial justice, and uh, when Republicans are in control, we go backwards.
2: All right, Brian. I want to give uh, thank you so much for that. I want to give Dr. Meeks a chance to respond because Dr. Meeks, a lot of folks feel the same way. You you're asking all of us to look inward, focus on ourselves, right. and then get and then get ready to do the work. Get to get to doing the work. But how can you do that when you do have a force? how some view it that there are policy there's legislation Mm -hmm. that's in direct opposition to that work now some will say well but depending on whom you ask is this legislation really in opposition now that's a whole nother conversation but you can understand folks saying we we work Mm -hmm. we work we push we march we vote but then we come up against this
7: So the the, the point here is, which is so difficult for people to get, is that unless you do the inner work, the outer struggle against what's wrong doesn't end up to be adequate. Of course, we have to keep working Mm -hmm. to tear down these structures. And we need to have governmental uh, support to the extent that I mean, we need a country that recognizes everybody as a free and equal citizen, which we don't have, Mm -hmm. which is why we're having this conversation in the first place. Mm -hmm. But we have all we have for now hundreds of years sacrificed the inner work for externals. We've gotten out here and protested and marched and and we've got a few things changed and, you know, we've done a little bit of stuff and, and look at where we are at this point. So, but I do also want to say, what did, what was it that made the, the slaves able to have hope, to look up and see, to look somewhere and have the sense that life was worth living and that they wanted to keep going forward? There's got to be more in you Mm -hmm. than just what is external to you and that's the point it's inner work and so you're saying that's also
2: that's not just directed at folks behind the mic the listener it's folks who are in elected office as well is that it's it's everybody
7: everywhere
2: yeah. 4047330942 again 4047330942 as we asked the question how do you define racial healing or if you have a question for Dr. Catherine Meeks I want to go to Nail from Decatur before we take a quick break. Nail. Hey, thanks for having me on. I oh, let me turn
6: this off. I wanted to just um I wanted to just share. I'm I'm white and uh I Just got out of a Zoom meeting with um, two other white women. We're all mothers, um, different ages and really varied backgrounds. But we are doing um, the workbook of me and white supremacy, um, Layla Sods, and we're on week nine. And um, I just want to send a moment of what I think might be hope that, you know, I think there is a lot of reckoning going on with, with white people. And, you know, I, I know guilt feels self-indulgent. And I also know that, you know, the, the microaggressions are real. And I know that where I live is bad, that it's bad. I don't want to live in that kind of a world. And so let it begin with me. Um, and this has just been an amazing, uh, an amazingly insightful-making book for me. So I want to just recommend that, and I'll start or any white groups who are interested in thinking about how to solve, how to not solve, but how to how to reckon with this project, and I just wanted to say um, thanks. I, I turned on the car and you guys came on, and I wanted to say thanks for being here. And I just want to shout out that this is that, that there is work going on within the community.
2: Well, let me ask you this now. Can I ask you a quick mm. question? Um, of course. When Dr. Meeks is talking about beginning with thyself, and I hope this is not too yeah. personal because you're not a guest, but you did call, um. so you open yourself up to this. Um, what what was that process like for you, or is this an ongoing process for you, looking inside, looking inward, and seeing how you, what there, whatever you know, that process looks like for you, and your role in this? Yeah,
6: yeah, uh, you know, honestly, I think it is, you know, just a, like a spiritual awakening, it's like, who do you want to be? it really Mm. isn't according to other people. It's according to who do I want to be in this world? Who do I want to be? What do I value? And not according to others, not say, okay, approve of me, because I'm doing the white supremacy work work on myself. It's it's more like, it's just this deep integrity for myself. How do I live? How do I live well? But it is a maturity. I mean, I think I've really come to it in a hard-won fashion. So it's hard work, uh, and it's really important. Mm
2: All right. 404-733-0942. Again, the number 404-733-0942 as we ask the question, how do you define racial healing? And I'm joined by Dr. Catherine Meeks. When we come back, we'll take more of your calls after this.
0: Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org.
2: And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott, and we're asking you, the listeners, You know, how do you define racial healing? Or if you have a question about what it's all about, I'm joined this hour by Dr. Catherine Meeks. And she also has a new book out called The Night is Long, But Light Comes in the Morning, Meditations for Racial Healing. And again, we're taking your calls, 404-733-0942. Again, 404-733-0942. Let's go to Kyle, who's calling from Atlanta. Kyle, thanks for taking the time. We're going to get to Kyle in just a minute. Dr. Meeks, I want to mention a name that you talk about in this book, and that is Larry Kimmins. Yes. You want to tell our yes. listeners a little bit about that?
7: Yes, Larry Kimmins was a 15-year-old boy that was shot and killed by a white security guard when I was a student at Pepperdine University over 50 years ago mm-hmm. who was uh, carrying a shotgun, and he was the security officer on our campus and this child came with his buddies to play basketball with the university's permission. And this particular evening, the kids came on campus to play Mm -hmm. and the gym was closed for church because the church people closed for Wednesday night service. And the the security guard decided to run them off campus, even though he knew these children and had talked to their mother and and had she he knew these boys, Mm -hmm. but he just, I don't know what got into him that day and and Larry was walking up to him saying Mr. Charlie you know my mom came to talk to you she she and I, we we come here all the time and he shot the child at point mm-hmm. blank range and killed him and we students had to band together in ways that it was the first time for me to ever have to really stand up against the system mm-hmm. both the college system and the bigger the world system in fighting for this child because the university tried to smooth it over Mm -hmm. and make him into a villain and not do right by his family. And so we came to the rescue. And we still 50 years later are trying to get the university to actually put up a for real memorial to Mm -hmm. Larry, which they are resisting because if they do, then they acknowledge that something happened there that that wasn't right. And they don't want to acknowledge the truth. They murdered that child Mm -hmm. and we, you know, I want to help make a world that where we don't murder children.
2: Kyle from Atlanta, thank you for holding.
7: Hi. Um,
8: so I do have an, something of a concern relating to these, this rise in white terrorism incidents or white supremacist terrorism. And in America, mm-hmm. it seems as if the federal government is, has been had a lackluster response as a way of trying to address these issues or inconsistent ones and my concern is that i i'm afraid that people at the end they aren't really doing enough to address this and these people are gonna not only hurt themselves uh, each other and but also just other people just around the us and mm-hmm. it's something that i think we should discuss because I'm nervous that, like, to what degree would we have to even, like, take the law into our own hands or how would we kind of approach these mm-hmm. very dangerous people? Because as mm-hmm. much as people fear monger about outsiders or some terrorists from another country coming in here, I'm far more afraid of some white supremacist that threatens to shoot someone up or shoot a place up. But that's mm-hmm. far more intimidating to me. And
6: mm-hmm.
8: I just think that the, um, the U.S. has had a very. Um, inconsistent and honestly irresponsible approach to this rising threat. And Mm -hmm. these people, I've even, like, cracked some of these, like, these massacres, such as the Buffalo Shooter Massacre Mm -hmm. um, in in New York. Um, um, These people, when they write their manifestos, they'll talk about how a civil war is coming and they need to stop a white genocide. And what they're talking about, this isn't, they try to paint themselves these valiant soldiers but they're not they are horrible people who are killing innocents men, women even willing to kill children at times
3: yeah. and
8: I just think that mm. this is a I just think that to some degree we need to be able to approach this not only responsibly but ethically as well because this kind of just relentlessness in trying to hurt people and just trying to frame it as some brave acts when really people aren't soldiers trying to defend themselves. They're they are people who are trying to commit massacres. They're not valiant at all. And I think that this kind of idea where they lie to themselves and frame it as brave and, and heroic is terrifying.
6: All right,
2: Kyle, thank yeah. you so much. And, of course, Dr. Meeks, Kyle is not along. A lot of people feel that same way. I want to go out to Pine Lake where Amy is holding. Amy, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for taking my call, Rose. I appreciate the work of Dr. Meeks very much. Um, I'm a person who's done some racial healing work uh, in my synagogue community and know that it's very difficult and challenging work to do for everybody if you're really doing it real in a real way. And I guess sort of following up on the last caller, um, my question to Dr. Meeks is, her premise suggests that when the work must come from inside, we all have to be motivated to do that work. And yet, we see that in the world, people are motivated by fear, by greed, by all kinds of Mm self-interest, that people delude themselves. It's very difficult to do the work, even when you're motivated and have a supportive community to help you. So given that, what are we to do in the world, the practical world as a whole, where we see both in the United States and globally, people are highly motivated by fear and Mm self-interest and there isn't the structure in place to support this kind of work on a macro scale. So mm. how, what, what can we do about that?
2: Dr. Meeks.
7: That's a very good question. And it's one that keeps me up at night. Because I think that our institutions such, such as synagogues and churches and, and our uh, political institutions have all failed us miserably in terms of offering a kind of uh, collective uh, structure. So it's up to, it's up to us. It's up to people who wake up mm-hmm. to keep saying, to keep telling the truth. You, you, you're one person, you stand on the earth as one person and you have to take responsibility for what you as a one person can do and how you can influence other people. You know, th- th- I think I, you know, I hear that same thread in this conversation mm-hmm. that I hear all the time. It's always, we want it to be massive and we want, This global collective action, which isn't happening, hasn't happened, and isn't going to happen, except that individuals stand up together and Mm -hmm. say, we want to create a different kind of world. So we just got to keep being faithful.
2: All right. All of us. Let's try to get these last two in. Janine from Griffin. Thanks for taking the time. Okay. Janine, are you with me?
3: This is um, Denise from Griffin.
2: Oh, Denise. Okay.
3: (laughs) Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm actually agreeing with the doctor in a sense that, you know, um, we have, our black leaders have fought and everything for blacks for a long time. And we've gotten to the point to where, you know, we are at a point where, if you want to call it equal, even though in a lot of ways it's not. We're in a way where we can actually function within this society. And I believe that um, whites, blacks, whoever, those who decide that they want to adopt racism within their consciousness, like she says, you're choosing to. Mm -hmm. And especially if you are a white person only because of the history of this country the racism has been, you know, whites over blacks or in everyone else. But that that fight has been fought. And so if you choose to keep that mindset, you are making that choice. Mm -hmm. And it's like we have to start getting the maturity about ourselves as individuals as to how we want to, like she says, be in this country and this world because everyone else and you know if you're a white person who is you know adopting racist uh mindset you have to realize that the rest of the people here in the united states who get along just fine all different races we get along just fine there is no hostility or anything like that for the most part Mm -hmm. it's those who carry the mindset, you're the ones who are creating that within the world. So you are making the choice to be, you know, that with that mindset. And those who are black and feel like they're um, still suppressed, again, you are making the, the mind, you are making the choice to feel as though you are suppressed.
2: Well, hold on, Denise. I want to uh, I, I want to give Dr. Meeks a chance to respond to that. Mm-hmm. And then I want to try to get Jim in. So hang with me. Thank you so much. A lot in there, well, Do- uh, Dr. Meeks. I, 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 I'm I gonna let you handle that.
7: Well, I, I totally disagree that that it's that racism is just a projection mm-hmm. out of the of the people of color. Mm-hmm. Racism is real. It's a it's a it's a systemic thing. It's insidious. It's real we haven't made a thimble full of progress in many ways in this country. Mm-hmm. And so every day when I walk out the doors a black woman, I have to deal with the, that there, there are structures that wish that I would go away. And I don't want to minimize that. Um, this book is not about minimizing that. Sure. This mm-hmm. book, is about how you can engage that reality and still be a whole person with a life that, that is a good life in the midst of it while you fight against it.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I know Jim from Stockbridge was was holding, and, and I and I, I apologize, Jim, because we we're up on the time, and and I thank you so much. You can email me if you want, and, and I think we'll probably have to revisit this again. Dr. Meeks, as always, Dr. Catherine Meeks, thank you so much for taking the time. The book is The Night is Long, But Light Comes in the Morning, Meditations for Racial Healing, and that's why we invite listeners to call in with their no, feedback yeah. and Dr. Meeks, as always, come back.
7: I love the conversation and I love being on any show anytime with you, Rose. So just tell me when you want me to show up and I will.
2: Thank you so much. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.